Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Space Show Show. Uh, it's your host, Lieutenant Commander Rebecca Frost, joined by Admiral Carrie Jackson. And Hi. good episode for you guys today. Um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan from the year 1982. Um, <laughs> uh, I the, the first movie episode hasn't quite dropped yet, so I don't know what your guys' reactions have been to the first movie episode. Um, so I'm excited to hear... Motion picture. Motion picture. I'm excited to hear your comments on that, um, but also excited to hear your comments about The Wrath of Khan. So to prepare for this, I did rewatch Space Seed. Which oh is, really? Oh yeah, one of okay. my favorite, one of my favorite original series episodes. I should have brought over. I see. I brought it over, but then I said, "Oh, we're not going to talk about Space Seed." I have a, I have a young con action figure. <laughs> I was going to show it to you, and, and but I said, "Oh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Wrath of Khan." So I, I hung it back up. It's way over there. So oh, I can't it's go okay. It, but... It's okay. We're not going to spend a lot of time. We're, I'm not going to. I'm not going to spend any time on Space Seed. Honestly, um, I did just want to point. Out, I watched it on your DVD that you lent me. So, with the old effects, with the old effects, I I gotta go back and watch all the episodes on the DVD because that stuff is incredible. Also, I have not watched a DVD in a century, so it the the whole menu navigating through the menu and the menu screen. I find it comforting and wonderful. I'm what sorry. a trip! It took me back. Oh my god! It took me back. I felt like I was 14 again. Because yes. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I am the type of person who I, I know we need to be investing in physical media right now. To me, everything is just available on the high seas, so I just don't care to. <laughs> See, and I, I'm, I'm worried that stuff's gonna mess up my computer, so yeah. I don't. Uh... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. All right. Where, <laughs> let's. Uh, so, Space Seed. Upon second viewing, it was you're like, this is a great episode oh, of Star Trek. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's so fantastic. Yeah. But then, starting Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, this is a Star Trek movie. Everybody, this is mm-hmm. what, this is what Star Trek movies should be. I exactly. had watched this movie earlier in this year because um, we did it at a live show, right? And um, mm-hmm. I. You know, so I watched it, but without context. And now, having watched it with context of the first movie, what a different movie, you guys! Um, <laughs> if, for those of you listening, if you haven't seen The Wrath of Khan, oh come on, what are you doing? <laughs> with the assistance of the Enterprise this, crew, <laughs> stop this podcast right now and go watch it, and then come back. With right. the assistance of the Enterprise crew, Admiral Kirk must stop an old nemesis, Khan Union Singh, from using the life-generating Genesis device as the ultimate weapon. Um, this. I don't know how to say this enough. This is what a Star Trek movie should be. It got Mm -hmm. so much more character focused, especially on Kirk, which I feel like we haven't ever had. We've never really learned about Kirk as a person. Whereas here, you know, in the last movie, he he is facing you know age right as we all are, and and the the obstacles that come Mm -hmm. with age and the nostalgia of it all. But here, we see it, whereas I don't feel like we saw it in the first movie. Well, and that concept of Kirk and and the crew discussing and battling uh, their perceptions of age is going to be even more so coming up in these next movies. Yes, love it. And the the character development will get even more, more so. Uh, good. If, if you thought this was good character explorations, 
there's more stuff to come. Well, and even like, cause that's the thing. I don't even feel like this was a super deep character exploration. It was just literally mm. a morsel more than we've yeah. ever had before. And I, that's it's like, give me that. It's like, here's a few pieces of candy. Here you go. Now, come on. Yes. We, we've got us. We've got a, we've got a thing to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the taglines for this movie, I would like to share, prepare yourself for warp 10 excitement. Mm. <laughs> uh, so uh our, our we have the introduction of our friend Christy Alley too um who she said uh when you, when this movie first came out that she was a big fan of Star Trek growing up so it was kind of mm -hmm. good for her um yeah. her role was initially supposed to go to Kim Cattrall who then mm -hmm. I guess shows up later in a later movie she will in a, in, a, in a different role but as but a similar role. It, she's playing a different person, but it, the way it was written, it it could have been and probably was intended to be Savick. Yes. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I th I believe I read something that when Kim Cattrall does eventually come on, they wanted her in Lieutenant to be Lieutenant Savick, but they just gave mm -hmm. her a new character instead, which I think yeah. is the right choice. Because, yes. my God, there's so much behind-the-scenes info for this movie. And I want to share oh, yeah. every single morsel with you guys. I don't have the time or the energy to, <laughs> to pick and give choose. Us some give us some pieces of candy and we'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, movie opens, Kobayashi Maru. Um, I think Kirstie Alley's trying to kill all my friends because Leonard Nimoy's there. Sulu is there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, who's he, what's he? Kirk is back behind a desk. I don't know exactly what he does now well, in Starfleet. We yeah, he's... he's you know, in charge of stuff. He's an admiral. <laughs> He's you know, just in charge of stuff. <laughs> now, I, I could be wrong, but I think that this is after the first movie. I think they did another five-year mission. I want to say. Really? Now that could be that could be canon, and I could be completely wrong. Oh. Uh, but as I recall from like uh, Star Trek Marvel comic books, it was another five-year mission after the motion picture. And this movie picks up after that, where they're back at Starfleet Academy training uh, people again. Mm. I, I, again, I, I, the way that Star Trek is, it could be canon or it could be made up by fans and yeah. bullshit. Anything, I don't know. anything could, anything could happen. Which, by the yeah. way, okay, let me address the thing from last week's episode, where I was very adamant that it was Admiral Uhura. I know mm -hmm. I was wrong. Um. <laughs> I know I was wrong. Uh, so I did an official, when I had Googled it previously, I just did a quickie, a quickie, but in an official Google search, in the Star Trek universe, Lieutenant Uhura's highest rank was Lieutenant Commander. Not sure if it counts as canon, but there are a few novels that put her as head of Starfleet intelligence with the rank of full admiral. So. All right. Okay. There you go. Yes. So if you got upset <laughs> about that in the last episode, um, Go touch grass. And if you and if you exactly if you got upset about that, what what's wrong with your life? It's all right, fine. First of all, it's fine. I'm allowed to be wrong about stuff. Uh, so Kobayashi Maru, Kirk is there, and they're they're training the young kids essentially. And uh, what I like, you know, as they set off on their actual mission of the movie, which is to go. Um, which is the USS Reliant has gone on a search to find um, uninhabited lifeless planets to test the Genesis device. They accidentally come across um, Khan on seat. What is it? SETI Alpha five, uh, SETI Alpha six. This is SETI Alpha five. <laughs> SETI Alpha six. Suns exploded. It exploded and sent us and sent the, the 
SETI Alpha 5. It's a desert now because of the explosion of SETI Alpha 6. But uh, uh, so while Chekhov and this other guy, Terrell, Terrell um, are on the search for this, they come across SETI Alpha 6, where they are captured by the tyrant Khan Nguyen Singh, reprising mm-hmm. his role, Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalcon, is that anything? Um, oh, cute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so the I'm going to be all over the place. The Enterprise has embarked on a three-week training mission. So now I assume the Enterprise is just a training vessel, which good for them because they've been there, done that. It's good to use mm-hmm. an old ship <laughs> to do some training exercises on. Sure. But while they are out on their training voyage, um, Kirk, for some reason, is the captain of this. Again, wish I knew what he was doing and what his whole oh, deal was. I, I think it's still his ship from the first movie, five-year mission, if that happened, to now. Yeah, yeah. I We'll have to do some research into what happened between the... Because also, in watching this one, I feel like the events of the first movie, we're just not even counting that. Like, I feel like that's just a movie that we had a fever dream of and it never really <laughs> happened or it was five years ago i'm sorry i'm latching onto that I'm yeah sorry. it's okay it's okay we'll do the we'll do the research right. but while they are yeah. on their training mission um they come across they come across a distress signal from the reliant which has been captured by con union singh and his henchmen who by the way were chippendale's dancers <laughs> a lot of, i believe that a lot of I... his henchmen were chippendale dancers I believe that because they're supposed to be the genetically superior, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, you'd want to get some some buff buff guys in there and some good-looking women and, you know, the genetically superior. All white, I noticed. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it was the eugenics war. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Except, with the exception of Ricardo. With the exception anyway. of Ricardo, yeah. Um, yes. But uh, because... Ricardo has captured Chekhov. I'm just going to call him Ricardo. Um, he's like, oh, you know our dear friend Kirk. And so it's become part of this grand scheme to try to trap his his old arch nemesis Kirk. Because when they, strand, when they deposited them on the planet, which, again, we, we talked about this back then. Bad idea. Why would you do mm, that? Um, exactly. A, a star next to them exploded and uh, totally destroyed the ecosystem of the planet that they were on and making them turn into Mad Max people. And it killed his wife, the woman who had left the Enterprise to go live with Khan. Mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. he's mad about it, you guys. He's so mad None about it. too happy. So yeah. he um, got to go try to find his arch nemesis friend, Kirk. Um, but... but- but first, we got to mind control a couple of Starfleet officers. Ooh, yucky. They've got these semi-dune worms on the planet that uh, let you mind control people. They wrap themselves around your cerebral cortex and make you susceptible to suggestion. Uh, they're not quite domesticated. Uh, these are pets. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> while Khan has captured them, he also learns of the reason that they were looking for this planet in the first place because of the of the Genesis device. And so Khan yes. says, "Oh, t- I want to go to there." And they go. Let's get that. They take over the <laughs> space station regular one where the where it is being developed by Kirk's former lover, Doctor Carol Marcus, and her son David. 
Oh, really? Her son? Her son with remarkably curly hair, just like William Shatner. <laughs> um, so uh, they come across they come across this the Reliant, and um, they are essentially in a standup where the Reliant is going to destroy the Enterprise, right? And Kirk once again pulls out the old Kirk bluffum, and. But it's a class. It's a it's a nice twist on the classic Kirk Bluffum. Because instead of doing something with a poker face, he's instead trying to buy time while they mm-hmm. hack into the Reliance computer codes and are able to take over and take down their shields and blah blah blah. Um, and uh, and 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 Lieutenant Savick is like, uh, it's, I, it's, I need you to hack into Reliance command control," and she's like into reliance command like you know that's against regulation and kind of thing and this is uh well we we have to do it and i love how in order to do it he has to put on his glasses that mccoy just gave him because he can't get the eye treatment of the future retinax 5 he's allergic to it which apparently drops yeah retinax 5 is drops that make your eyesight perfect uh and he is allergic to them so he has to have glasses in order to see (laughs) <laughs> and so, naturally, McCoy went and got the most old guy looking glasses. Listen, that it's were 1982. Available. Those, compared to the glasses of the 80s that I have seen, which are giant, these are quite yeah. smaller. So maybe that's what they thought the future glasses would look like is just tiny wire rimmed glasses. But uh, again, more wisdom from Kirk on this one that can be applied in your daily life, where he says to Savick, you have to learn why things work on a starship. Mm -hmm. You can apply that in your everyday life. You need to learn how to do these things in order to achieve, in in order to succeed. Which honestly, a great message to also take away from the first movie, right? Where he Mm -hmm. has been Mm -hmm. away from the Enterprise and doesn't exactly know how the Enterprise works anymore. He's kind of learned, see? Mm -hmm. You have to, as he did not know in the first movie how, how things work on a starship, he did learn. He finally learned and now he's using that knowledge that was always my takeaway from the original series too was that kirk knew how everything on the ship worked and that's i think a requirement of being a captain right is knowing how everything on the ship works so you know good good for him um oh i do before we move on to the next part of the movie where they beam onto um the science station Mm -hmm. i can play six degrees of star trek because the company I used to work for, Evans and Sutherland, um, mm-hmm. they so Evans and Sutherland, what they do is they make planetariums, like soup to nuts planetariums, from the domes that projectors project onto to the software that um, runs a, a, the projection system, and that software is a product called Digistar. Digistar provides the tactical bridge displays for the USS Enterprise, as well as 3D moving star fields, which open and close the film. So in 1982, the company I worked for, Evans & Sutherland, provided the things that you see on the bridge displays, as well as the movement of the stars. Um, and that's... Now, did, they also, did they also make the Genesis uh, education uh, vid- video? Uh, I don't think so. Or was that a different animation group? Because uh, so... that is... That's that a, is the first example of computer animation in a movie. Yes, and I wonder, I don't know if I have that. Uh, oh, the demonstration of the effects of the Genesis device on a barren planet was to be projected, 
presented by using traditional animation, but Paramount Studios executives ask for something more impressive. The scene was shot using an entirely computer-generated sequence. The effects were produced by the graphics group division of Lucasfilm. This division would later become an independent company under the name of Pixar. Mm -hmm. That's your first example of computer animation in a film is the uh, the transformation of the planet from barren to paradise in the Genesis instruction video. Here's what Genesis is: a presentation to the start to Starfleet. Uh, I will say the guys that did uh, Evans and Sutherland who did work on the Digistar um, thing for Star Trek, they did eventually go on to work for Pixar and be one mm -hmm. of the, some of the founding people behind Pixar. So. Yeah, well, a lot of that uh, started here in Utah. So isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, neat. Huh? The first VR headset too, um, created uh, at not at Evans and Sutherland, but by somebody who mm -hmm. worked for. It. Anyway, doesn't matter. There's well, all of our all of our nerds are not they're not having sex or drinking, so they have plenty <laughs> of time to work on all of this stuff. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> That said, the reason I brought that up was because when they beam on to the science station, if you think about it, there's someone in charge of everything. And so I'm curious to know who is in charge of the design of the way the transporter looks when you beam somewhere. Because this is a new beam look, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like you still got your um, flurry of stars or whatever, but then there's like red lens flare. And lens flare, yeah. I just, I'm so curious to know if there's a guy at Starfleet who that's his whole job is coming up with new transporter designs. Or with the different capabilities as they get better and better, mm -hmm. the beam changes. Yeah. Just some, something to think about. Throwing it out there. <laughs> so they get to the science station and I did immediately Google Star Trek winter coats because <laughs> I like the winter coat outfits that they're wearing. Oh, okay. Well, then that's, yeah, that I, I want one. I've always <laughs> wanted one. I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm personally not a big fan of the red uniform with the white puffy collar. I mm -hmm. am a fan of the winter coats, though. Well, speaking of those uniforms, this is a, uh, a recreation of uh, Mego design. So these are not classic Mego figures, mm. uh, but they are redesigns of them in their, you know, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan uniforms. So you're Excellent. Kirk, and there's your Mr. Spock. Oh, my friend. Yes, my complete friend. with the, see the phaser there that I had? Yeah. See, see? Yes. <laughs> brag much? Uh, so on the, <laughs> on the science station, they find Terrell and Chekhov still alive, still alive, but under the influence of brain worms. Um, and uh, they go. They can't. They don't immediately find Carol and David. But they, as they search within the the, the base, they find Carol and David. Um, and uh, Khan, because this whole time Khan is aware of what they're doing. Uh, Terrell, the good of Starfleet resides within him, and he kills himself instead of killing Kirk. Um, mm -hmm. And but of course, so at this point, I remember being like, "Oh my God, are they going to kill our friend Chekhov? They can't kill our friend Chekhov." Chekhov is fine. Uh, the no. the brain worm just crawls out of his ear and he let he let out a mighty Chekhov scream. <laughs> he was and it jumped right out of his protected ear. by plot armor. Um, yes, but uh, <laughs> they um, the group hides essentially in this uh, inside the planet. inside the the thing um, where Carol has created using the Genesis device this 
new habitable world. And the thing I love also about this movie is they have finally, finally introduced a smart woman with something to do and provide because every other smart woman that we've met previously is more or less just there to help the plot along. She's she's smart. She doesn't take any bullshit mm-hmm. because you remember when Chekhov calls her and says, we think we found a planet. There's a little bit of you know, maybe a little living thing on there. Maybe it's something we could transplant. And she is so indignant with him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something you can transplant? What are you? <laughs> she's not having any of this. And he tries to make excuses for it. So it's beautiful. But yes, yeah, she is. Is it any wonder that Kirk fell in love with her you know the smart capable woman mm-hmm. a- and blonde and blonde. and blonde of course but i love too <laughs> that she you know she doesn't take any of his shit right like there's a reason even though mm-hmm. she was pregnant with his child she chose to keep him out of her keep him out of kirk's life because mm-hmm. kirk will forever be chasing the stars and she doesn't want that for her son um but, well, and and it's a and it's a tremendous burden because he's he's a Starfleet hero. Mm-hmm. You can't live up to that. It's like being Sting's son and then touring with him. <laughs> Sting's what a <laughs> of all because the celebrities that happened. To oh, is that what happened? No, it, that's why I brought it up because Sting's son is opening for him on this most recent tour, and everyone's saying the same thing. Oh. <sighs> if you're Sting's son, do you go into music or do you just go? Dad, that's yours. I'll do something else because you'll never be as good. Yeah, <laughs> the Nepo baby discourse, it never ends. Um, but, uh, you know, blah, yada, yada, yada. Khan finds out where they are. A battle ensues, a small battle ensues. And the, and the Reliant is basically, um, oh, what's the word? Not, not decapitated. Um it's it's rendered like inoperable disabled yes um like that and because (laughs) he is and during this whole battle the um warp drive warp the warp capabilities of the enterprise are no they're not up to snuff quite yet they need more Mm -hmm. time to work on it but khan has activated the genesis device which will reorganize all matter in the nebula including the enterprise um because that's your that's your whole big bang theory all of those gases and everything and if there's the proper explosion all those gases will be brought together and make a planet um so they are not going to be able to get out of there fast enough. But our friend Spock, he's like, don't worry, I will fix it. Goes down to the warp reactor where it's radiation city down there. Both Mm -hmm. Scotty and McCoy are like, oh my God, do not do that. Spock is like, nope, nerve pinch. And uh, just (laughs) goes in there and fixes it. He restores power to the warp drive and the Enterprise escapes the explosion. Khan is no more. Um, they, the Genesis device forms a new planet capable of sustaining life. Um, but at what cost? Because I once again cried at the death of Spock and I'm afraid I'm going to do it every time I watch this damn scene. (laughs) Well, then you're normal. (laughs) (laughs) And, and watching it now too, having finished the original series, having watched the first movie, it hit so much harder our yes our friend spock dying stands up from the ground and adjusts his uniform to go say goodbye to the love of his life kirk all of my star wars friends couldn't figure out why i was so upset at this 
And I'm like, you just don't, you just don't understand, man. <laughs> one, of, one of the behind the scenes facts of this movie was they kept this scene in particular so secret and so under wraps. They had a limited crew. Um, and while filming it, the, um, the movie's cinematographer was crying. And it wasn't until af- much later that I believe it was the director finally realized the impact and why this was such an effective scene. Because, oh my God, these are our friends. These are our two dads. They've been together forever. And and now we have to say goodbye to one of them. <laughs> and and even the eulogy after two that Kurt gives, I you know I used to criticize it for being a little too unemotional. Mm-hmm. How do you give a eulogy to someone like Spock, who has been your right hand man for mm-hmm. not centuries, but for years and years and years, and. Uh, <laughs> just mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you do? I think uh, all of us quoted this eulogy at Jeff Weiss's funeral. I believe it. I don't we, even I, remember we, we it, did. but I believe it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, personally, not a fan of how they ship Spock's coffin out into space. Just a photon torpedo tube. I'm personally not a fan. Um, just because uh, not Starfleet littering. That's insane. Mm-hmm. You're not only a fan, his dad won't be a fan. Oh, of mm-hmm. Spock dying? Mm-hmm. No, the, no, the way they, what they did with his body. Oh, shit. That's next week, huh? Oh, That's shit. next week. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, so, so they, you know, the Enterprise goes to finish the rest of their mission to rescue the Reliant, but then yes. the movie ends with a with a shot of um, Spock's coffin having landed on a Genesis planet's surface, and mm-hmm. oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Well, and those those you know last words in the in the captain's log, he says, and if this planet does in fact create life from lifelessness, I'll have to come back and see someday. He says, which they should have done the first time around when they just dropped Khan off on that planet. But whatever, I think should have just checked on him. I'm starting to wonder if there's a lack of oversight over there. It's like, like, do you think Kirk just doesn't want to do paperwork, and that's why there's so many things that just aren't I, followed up on? That's a good answer, and it could also be it's a big galaxy with a lot of ships to keep track of, and maybe they have limited staff. You know, it's yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> that that is um, something different between this movie and the first movie. The first movie really highlighted the scope and scale of Starfleet, and that it is not just one ship touring the galaxy; mm-hmm. it is a whole a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch mm-hmm. of planets. And mm-hmm. um, this one, uh, you didn't get that right you just really saw interactions between two ships they yeah they kept and if you, and if you notice uh con and kirk never share the same camera no they're never in the same room never in the same room uh also uh they kept it small that way because they wanted to create a claustrophobic feel mm. because that uh, scene at the end where they're both flying blind in the nebula it was supposed to kind of channel those old submarine movies uh, okay, like, definitely got that run vibe. Silent, run, especially, run silent, run deep. Kind yeah, of especially thing, when yeah. the Enterprise is up, rising up behind the Reliant. Mm-hmm. Which which they did this, the first time in Balance of Terror. You remember from mm-hmm. season one. They did that. They were aiming for that kind of submarine feel. And they really, really achieved it this time, I think. Because with the new special effects. Yeah. Um, yeah, like overall... A, 
like I, I know I've said it a thousand times. This is a Star Trek movie. This <laughs> feels like because it was, you know, the producer, um, uh, Harve Bennett, viewed all the episodes of Star Trek and chose Space Seed as the best candidate for a sequel because Spock even remarks in the script that this would be interesting to return to in a hundred years to see what type of civilization civilization had grown there. Um, mm-hmm. This was the first time a feature film was made as a sequel to a specific television series episode. Um, which Pers- was a which was a real risk. It was a real risk. Totally, especially for something like Star Trek, right? When the first movie, I you know, maybe received pretty middling reviews and and hype, mm-hmm. right? Um, and especially you got you've got Star Wars during all of this too. And how do you compete yes. with Star Wars? Exactly. And and uh, so to all of these people who are now saying. Uh, this um, Marvel's movie is going to fail because you have to do so much homework. Guess what? Most people didn't do the homework for this movie, and it was a huge hit because the writers and creators explained things to people, just like they'll do in the Marvels. Also, can we talk about the Marvels really quick? Uh, Gonna go see it this week. Um, But did you see the new trailer that dropped? I did. I did. I'm offended because what they did, what they did, if you haven't seen this new trailer yet, is they intercut clips from fucking Endgame. So you've oh. got Tony Stark and Captain America yeah. and Avengers movie era Nick Fury all doing yeah. appearances when they have literally nothing to do with Captain the, Marvel. The the, thir- the first thirty seconds are. Remember how remember? you felt? Do you remember? We're, we're, we 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 got one that we think will make you feel it again. Do you or do you remember? I'm also hearing. I'm also hearing though that maybe the end of this movie is a setup for something big. I could t- I could tell you all about that, it. Oh well, later. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, be- so a couple of things. Yes. My favorite line in this movie takes place during at, well at the end of the Kobayashi Maru uh, test because before. This movie came out. There were rumors all throughout the what was the geekosphere then, pre-internet. We had magazine. Uh, fan magazines. <laughs> you know, we had like Starlog. We had you know things like that, because they were. This was before keeping things a secret about your shows. Nimoy had been saying in the press, "I if I do another Star Trek movie like they're talking about, I want them to kill me because I'm done with it." I'm done with it. He'd even, he'd even written a book called I Am Not Spock. Uh, you know, he, he, he wanted to move on. He, had a, he wanted to take pictures of, of ladies and he wanted to do art and things like that and write. Uh, so he was pretty much done with it. And that was in his contract that they would kill him. Mm-hmm. That was part of the deal. And so in the, in the, at the end of the Kobayashi Maru, when, you know, it's pretty much the full cast of classic Trek there with these new characters doing this training exercise... There's a part where Spock turns around to face the captain and starts speaking and his console behind him explodes and he's thrown forward and he hits his head on a step. So he stays there until the end of the Kobe Yashimaru test. Kirk comes in and, and is starting to, you know, finalize and everything. And he, and he looks down at Spock, Spock with his eyes closed. and Spock then opens his eyes and stands up and he goes, Aren't you dead? <laughs> I did. Which I thought was a, that was a great, see, 
That was that Ooh. was what you thought. Ooh, yeah. that's I. See? That's why when I first watched this movie, I was so afraid that Kirstie Alley was killing all my friends because that moment where Spock, dedicated to the bit, by the way, oh yeah, <laughs> where he gets thrown and he pretends to die. Um, <clears throat> I have so much trivia to share. Um, and one of these bits of trivia is he re- he was reluctantly convinced to appear in the first film, uh, and he had no interest in the second. Ha- producer Harv Bennett finally convinced Nimoy to sign on to the film with the offer of having a death scene. Um, mm-hmm. But to follow up with that, Leonard Nimoy did not know about the final shot of Spock's coffin on the surface of the Genesis planet. He first saw this at the premiere and has said that his first thought was, I'm going to be getting a call from Paramount. Yep. Yep. Which, what a bummer! <laughs> well, that that made us all when we when we saw it when when Kirk said, "If this planet is life from lifelessness," we all went, "Ah, there you go." <laughs> <laughs> but imagine being Leonard Nimoy and having this death scene and thinking you're done, and then going yeah. to the premiere, going to the premiere of this movie, seeing that final shot, and then thinking, "Oh fuck." He's like, oh, God, uh, these people. I just want to stay home and take pictures of, of ladies, and you know, I, that's all I want. Let me release albums where I sing about The Hobbit. Yes. <laughs> um, part of the reason this film, I think, is a lot better as a Star Trek film. It turns out to make a good Star Trek movie, you just got to get Gene Roddenberry out of there. So for this film, Gene Roddenberry was given a consultant position. I'm the I'm the choir. You're the preacher. I've always said this. <laughs> just get him out of there. That Star Trek is better when the creator is not around. <laughs> Listen, the man's got the great, great, excellent work, Gene Roddenberry. Yes. You did it. Please yes. leave. <laughs> this yes, is ours this, now. You you created the game and you set up the board for us. We'll see you. This Thank is you. if J.K. Rowling <laughs> could like take a note. Um, yeah, would be so great. Like, no, this is ours now. You can go. Uh, mm-hmm. So he was replaced as executive producer by Harv Bennett. Apparently, Paramount Studios blamed the constant production delays and budget overruns for Star Trek The Motion Picture on Roddenberry's constant meddling and demanding script rewrites. While Mm -hmm. the studio had been open to letting him produce the film on the condition that he take a less hands-on role and share the producer's role with John Povill, uh, who was an associate producer on the previous film, Roddenberry refused the notion of anything less than full creative control and was so removed altogether from active involvement in the film. Why don't you go away? We'll just give you some money. How about that? Great. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic move. Here, here's, here, here's some whiskey. Go away. Okay. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Here's a, here's a woman and some whiskey. You know? Yes. <laughs> here's a woman who's not Majel and some whiskey. You go. <laughs> um, curse, uh, let's see. When the Sci-Fi Channel aired this film on television, Leonard Nimoy appeared on screen during commercial breaks, explaining various memories and trivia about the film itself. Um, would love to find these commercials. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't looked, but um, hopefully YouTube has them. Uh, but one of the items was the character backstory of Lieutenant Savick, who was intended to have uh, Romulan Vulcan heritage, which would mm-hmm. have made her more emotional than pure-blood Vulcan. And three hints of this remain in the final film. Uh, during the Kobayashi Maru simulation, when she says to herself, Damn! Uh, she gasps in shock when Scotty appears on the bridge with Midshipman's Preston's injured body, and she mm-hmm. is emotionally moved by Admiral Kirk's eulogy. Yes. 
Well, so I, so yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm of the school that she's Romulan. Vulcan. I believe it. I would love, mm-hmm. honestly, give me, give me some of that. I want to see some more of that. Does that, uh, does that show up ever again? Of a Romulan Vulcan? Uh, well, she's in the next movie. Oh, is she? <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> That's I, all I'm going to say right now because, well. Yeah, a, spoiler alert. A thing, yeah. Um, did I tell you I'm named after Kirstie Alley? I'm named after Rebecca from Cheers. Oh, that's right. You did tell me I that. I only just found that out this year. What a betrayal. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's another Rebecca that we could say you're named after. Right? right? My aunt? I don't know. Uh, and then the last piece of trivia I have is um, James Dewan was interviewed about this film in the mid-80s, and he stated that he felt that Ricardo Montalban should have been Oscar nominated for his performance. Subsequently, Dewan lamented that the Academy Awards never really gives those types of awards or nominations for such movies. And here we and are, 2023. Yep, he was right in the end. Yeah, and we're still we're still doing the dang thing, right? I, I also I also heard he was upset with the with the edit. Uh, I think it's in the director's cut that they do more. Uh, Peter Preston is related to Scotty somehow. He's his nephew. Oh, and there is some more scenes with him and Peter bonding. Uh, you know, and, and and they kind of hint that you know your family and all that stuff, which is why Scotty was so attached to him not just his favorite cadet but you know oh. he was attached to him and that's why when he when he died he was very emotional and had that great moment in the sick bay i did a search um because I'm a, I'm a sucker for audiobooks so i did a search for the novelization of this movie for the audiobook oh. i don't think it exists um but i might have to check out a novel the novelization physical copy because uh maybe they get more into that in the I... book I used to have it. I guess I don't anymore. Yeah, it's pretty, I don't. In, yeah. in my search for it, by the way, I learned that William Shatner has written a bunch of Star Trek books. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are they any good? A, a couple of them are. Hmm. Um, there was, yeah, I read a couple of them and they weren't bad. Of course, you remember, he's not writing them necessarily. He's oh, is got he doing these, a ghostwriter thing? He's got two ghostwriters, a husband and wife team. Oh. And oh, okay, uh, good they're that. quite good. Okay. They're quite good. Yeah. Oof. Honestly, I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, what well, do you it's mean? Well, writing a book. That can't be good. He was excited to have a death scene in a movie, you know, as, mm-hmm. as Kirk. And then after that, he went, oh, I'm not satisfied. Uh, I'll have some books where he comes back alive. I'm like, how many of these people are coming back alive? Uh, I, thank God it's just in the book. Go away. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, interesting. Well, I was going to read them, but now I don't. I, uh, well, maybe you I, you might still. You're still in. You're still in the church. I'm still. I'm still. Do you still think? Okay. Member. Well, then here's a question. Do you think in the few is there a moment coming up where I'm going to be like, oh no, thank you, never mind. Mm, how much of uh, Next Generation have you watched? Only like a season and a half. So not much. The first season, yeah. Okay, because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of places that I pushed off in that first season, mm-hmm. and I didn't come back oh. until uh, the reruns of season three. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I came back is because I was recovering from cancer surgery at the University of Utah, and it was on every night at ten, and it gave me an excuse to walk down past the nurses' station to where the color TV was I in the big. I remember Star Trek being on at ten p.m. Exactly. It was in the. It was on in the visitors' room. The visitors' room had color TV. Where K Jazz wasn't it? K Jazz. 
I think it might have been. Yeah. That sounds and familiar. so I'd make that long, what was long walk at that time because I. <laughs> They split me open like a trout, but that's another story. <laughs> and so I walked down to season and season three of Next Gen was there. And I'm like, oh, I hate Next Gen. Oh, okay. Well, I'll watch it. Joke's on you. It, I'm going to make you watch all of it. Season three was good. But so that's what I'm saying is that if there were pushing off places, it would have been season one or two of, of Next Gen. But oh. if, if you're able to make it through that, I think you're going to be fine. Oh, yeah. You saw how I immediately latched onto Riker. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm. So I'm trying to think. Okay, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock is next. Correct. And I'm trying to think if there's there. This one might be a tricky one for you. Oh really? It might be. Four, not a problem at all. You're gonna love four. <laughs> five, five, is a very divisive one. Oh yeah. Five is a, a five is a divisive movie. episode. I like it. Because it has some of my favorite lines in it and moments in Star Trek. But most people overall, it's a tough one. It's a divisive one. Six has got my favorite Star Trek villain in it. Ooh. More so than Khan. Ooh. More so than Khan. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the Undiscovered Country. And that's a great one because uh, there's so much happening in there. Yeah. And that's the Kim Cattrall one. Okay. Yeah. I really, I love Khan as a villain. Like we don't get much of him, but I... Mm -hmm. Just adore Ricardo Montalban's dedication to this character. Mm -hmm. I think I love it. I just think it's so sweet. Well, I can't wait you to meet General Chang, who mm -hmm. is the Shakespeare quoting Klingon, and there's also in in it a trial scene. Oh, baby, you know I love a courtroom. Like, so imagine him interrogating Kirk. Oh, it's just a so Klingon. Good. Uh, I can't. I'm having a hard time fathoming a Klingon who likes Shakespeare. Oh, he's he is amazing. General Chang, as as Kirk says, all of his, you know, maneuvers were required reading at, at Starfleet Academy. Oh. I mean, they're both they're both old war dogs and that's that's kind of the thrust of the story is mm. is, you know, do we do we continue our ways or do we evolve uh, you know, and oh, get past it all? Oh, because but, then Worf uh, shows up on Next Gen. How interesting. And Worf's uh, grandpa, I think it is, shows up in Star Trek VI. Okay. I think it's his grandfather. Okay. Might be his dad. I can't recall. Anyway. Uh, the other thing about <laughs> Star Trek Three and Four, um, directed by Leonard Nimoy, and I, one of my favorite things is following directors and seeing what directors do because um, mm -hmm. I like being able I, this you can really see a, a fantastic example of this is these two directors um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead they did a couple of episodes of Moon Knight they've done most of season yes. two of Loki um, but they've done a bunch of movies too and they have such a distinct directing style and that particular thing I love to pick up on. I love to see how mm -hmm. past works influence whatever movie they're directing currently. So I'm so excited to see Leonard Nimoy in the director's chair for oh, the upcoming Star he, Trek movies. Yeah. And he was one of the hot directors in Hollywood for a hot minute there. Oh. He he was directing all he, Three Men and a Baby. Did it. he do Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. Oh yeah, there he he was uh, he was the hot director of the moment for a, a good uh, five or six years there. I gotta tell you, I never recovered when I learned that it was Lavar Burton who directed the Disney Channel original movie Smart House. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Well, before we wrap this up, I want to do a quick shout out to our friend Travis the Pie Man at Pie Man Graphics yes. over on Etsy. 
because he's so nice. He sent me so many decals and I just want to share them with you guys. He sent me so many space oh. show show decals. Now, is he, is he making those available at his uh, Etsy? So I don't know, but I bet if you messaged him and asked him, he would do it. He should be doing it because he he did some geek show badges for a while too. Yeah. And, and, and the penis shark, he did a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. He gave us. me these, I don't oh, know exactly what they those. are, but I don't know where I'm going to oh. put them. That's uh, that. Those go on the doors. You see, you put. You see the way it's split there oh. on the end. Oh. One part. One part goes in the door. The other part goes outside did, the door. He did say they were door stickers. Yeah. So go go and look at episodes, and you'll see where the I, lower decks would be a good place to reference that. I gotta get me. I do have to rebuild my house from scratch. Maybe I can get some some whooshy doors. Whoosh. Um, he also sent me this. I know for a fact he has this one in the shop, protected by Flurkin, oh, just in time for the Captain Marvel movie. Um, but That's yeah, uh, Pie Man, Pie Man Graphics on Etsy. Yeah, he's... go on and beg him for Space Show Show stuff. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, yeah. But anyway, do you have any final thoughts about Wrath of Khan? Best movie ever? Uh, maybe not best movie. Uh, it is a damn fine film and mm -hmm. it's going to be referenced f till the end of time. It's one of those movies. Um, it, it had some terrific moments. It made me believe that Shatner could act at some point. <laughs> and, but then he goes con and it reminds me, oh no, wait, it's Shatner. Uh <laughs> okay. Well then question for you. Yes. Star Trek Into Darkness, JJ movie. Yes. When mm -hmm. leading up to, when the lead, this is, I think this is why I don't like these movies is because fucking JJ Abrams, the whole time leading up to this movie, everyone's like, oh, so he's con, right? And everyone was like, no, no, uh, he's not con. And then in the movie, he's revealed to be con. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it was a, it was a poor choice to, I mean, I understand him wanting a surprise ending for people mm -hmm. or a surprise or a twist. I get that. But everybody figured it out. <laughs> but at the same time, you can't say, you're right. You know? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think he knew that everybody knew, but he couldn't say, no, it's it's John Jameson or it's whatever it is. John Benedict Cumberbatch. That being said, I love Star Trek Into Darkness. I, and I love the J.J. movies. I know that's heresy. No, uh, it's, but, you're uh, allowed to. You're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> I love the J.J. movies. But what I love about Into Darkness especially is it's, uh, what if Dick Cheney found Khan? Mm -hmm. And to me, that, and I and I had some, when I was, I was invited to the premiere down in L.A. and they sent me they sent me down and what? they put me up they put me up in the roosevelt across the street which is just oh god rebecca you got to go to the roosevelt hotel it's just so old hollywood Ooh. and i check into my room i check into my room and there's a big photo up above the bed of mick jagger david bowie and lou reed Ooh. in a bed uh -huh. in a bed okay <laughs> send me up for that room but uh, yeah, so I got to go across the street at the at the uh, Kodak Theater and watch it, and that's that's a stage that's a live stage. Uh, you shouldn't watch movies on that. So that was part part mm -hmm. one of the problem. But uh, the only complaint I have with Into Darkness is uh, Spock yelling "Con." I thought they could have done without that because it was it was too. Do you understand what we're doing, huh? Do you get Do you what get we're it? doing now? Yeah. yeah. I, I could have done without that, and I think it would have been great. Mm, okay, um, okay. But anyway, so there's that. 
show and tell before we yes. go. Uh, this is uh, one of the first action figures that we got that actually looks like Ricardo Montalban. Loves a deep V. I got to say, I love his outfit. I had that shirt in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Back when that was in style. <laughs> and and again, I have to remind everyone who says, yeah, him and his plastic chest. Nope. All Montalban. Ooh, baby. Every, every inch of it Montalban. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't believe me, Here's cute. Con. Here's the stuffed version. <laughs> Here's cute and deadly con. Do, if you squeeze oh, it, does look. it say things? No, he just he says thank you. He says thank you. Why would you have that? Why would they make that? Somebody, somebody gave it to me. I have this. I have a Kirk one over there as well. Aww. It's the same, but uh, cuddly Montalban. And then of course, one of these days, I'll get around to opening this. It's my uh, Star Ooh. Trek two. Uh, 25th anniversary edition of of the uh, Enterprise, and it. Uh, the ship speaks. <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll either sell that or open that one of these you days. You should open that and pop it up on a stand and have it on display. I would, but the last time I checked, it was worth some money. Oh, <laughs> I'm a firm believer in using your stuff. You can't well, take it with what, you. So what I am gonna do, and since Lee is now recovering and he's mostly he's not moving, he's mostly just sitting around. Is I'm I think I'm gonna get him my because I have the AMC model kit for this Enterprise in there, mm. and I think I'll have him. He could do that in. I know Lee. He could put <laughs> that together. He's not doing anything. Because it's it's a simple build for him. I mean, you've seen the complicated <laughs> yeah. stuff that he's done. Uh huh. I've got the AMC model kit of this Enterprise with lights in it, and I, I know he, it'd take him like next to no time to put together, and it'd give you something to do, Lee. I, <laughs> another thing recover. about another thing about this movie, perfect amount of time vis-a-vis -vis spaceship porn, like just a real quick <laughs> glance at the Enterprise. They essentially took that same docking sequence from the motion it picture. Was. It was literally the exact same scene. Just it now was. Sulu you're... and Uhura are there. Yeah, you're going to start seeing reused footage in the next movie. Oh, Dios uh, mio. Okay. <laughs> because, because each sequel had to cost less than the previous movie. <sighs> and again, that's all on that Amazon series. It's on Amazon uh, TV oh, Prime right seat. now. It's called The Center Seat, and there's a whole, like, two or three episodes of just the movie making. Mm. And they talk about how, you know, the nuts and bolts of all of that, you know, and how gotcha. we're lucky. We're lucky that we have it at all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Right. Six of them, though, and they had to cut the budget each time. Insane. Each time. I hope the last mm -hmm. one's a stage play. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got a lot of Shakespeare. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Dang it. You know what's so funny about every time we do the show, we talk about stuff that's upcoming, and I'm just getting, I get more and more excited about upcoming Star Trek. I'm really curious as to what you're going to think about Star Trek 3, because it mm. is a challenging one for people. Because there's some interesting choices for casting uh -huh. in there. Uh, you've got, you know, the, 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 the villain Klingon in this. It's interesting casting. I'm okay with it, but most people have a problem or had a problem oh, okay. with it. And I don't, I actually, I don't know. I haven't looked up anything about this movie. Oh. So. Huh. And it's, it just continues the soap opera. It's, it's just, uh, 
but but yeah, a lot of this is this is another one of those divisive movies. Not like Star Trek Five is as divisive, but this one's kind of divisive. Interesting. Well, and I I just love it because it's again it's your friends doing things and you're yeah. learning more about your friends. So I like to learn know. more about my friends. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that next week. And until then, thank you guys for joining us, and we will continue going where no man has gone before, but a lot of people have gone before. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>